Good morning. Hello, Southwood College. My name is Jacob Smith, and I'm actually the youth director here at Southwood, which is awesome. And uh, I figured, you know, we're a little bit smaller today, you know, a little bit more roomy, a little more comfortable with each other. So I thought I'd go ahead and share with you uh, one of my youth jokes. I apologize if you're offended by it, but, you know, junior high kids love it, so you should too. Um, it's a knock-knock joke, okay? And again, I'm sorry if this offends you. I literally thought of it as I was walking up the aisle, so I hope this goes okay. Uh, I didn't okay with Trey. But uh, here's, the, here's how it goes, okay? So knock-knock. Yeah. Smell map. <laughs> no way, gross. Uh, 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 okay. Uh, uh. Some of you are like, ah, and some of you are like, oh, you can just leave if you want. I don't care. Um, well, like I said, named Jacob Smith, I youth ministry here at Southwood, uh, and Trey is you know looking for some time off, so he invited me to come speak to you guys, which I'm super excited. I get to use PowerPoint and everything. We don't have that in youth. It's we're still Stone Age. We use chisels. And, uh, but this is really exciting. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, but I feel like uh, since you know, I'm, I'm here, you don't really know anything about me, I should share a little bit about myself, where I come from. Uh, well, I would, I would have you know, okay, number one fact about Jacob Smith, log this away. Loved Sesame Street. Loved it. Loved it. Still do. Why, do I, why am I putting it in past tense? I still love Sesame Street. Less, more audience participation. How, who watched Sesame Street as a kid? I mean, come on, let's just, let's just be honest, right? Okay, good. Like 90%, I'm happy. The other 10%, I'm surprised you got into college because, you know, Sesame Street, <laughs> Sesame Street's basically how I learned everything, so I don't know how you did it, but Sesame Street was amazing, right? I, I loved watching Sesame Street, and the great thing about my childhood was that as I, you know, was going through, normally, normally you know, the way TV works is that you have to watch it as it happens. Well, my mom at the time, in her gracious love towards me, decided to just videotape four episodes of Sesame Street okay, on, a, on a VHS tape. And so then, no matter what the time of day or night, I could always watch, always watch Sesame Street. And it, yes, it was the same four episodes over and over, but at the time, it didn't really click with me. I was just like, what? Uh, Oscar lost his worm again? What? Like, that happened like yesterday. But I mean, I didn't care. I was like, Sesame Street, Big Bird, right? It was, it was exciting. And so as I was watching it, you know, and getting the full, the full Sesame Street experience, I had some PJs and, you know, I'd pretend to be Big Bird walking around the house. Uh, I found out one day through the radio that Sesame Street was coming to College Station, Texas. It was, it was where I grew up. I should have probably said that. College Station, Texas. They were coming to Post Oak Mall. And I was like, what, what, right? I'm, I'm like five, but I still kind of knew what the mall was. And I understood where I lived. So I knew that Sesame Street was coming to me. And the, the, you know, the announcement was saying, yeah, you can you know, meet Sesame Street. You can talk with the character. Actually, I wasn't five. I was like three. Anyway, but I was like, you can meet the character. You can talk with Big Bird and do this like, advertising and stuff. And I was just getting so excited. I was so pumped. And so I immediately went to my mom. I was like, look, it's Big Bird. And she's like, yes, I know, I know. I listen to the radio as well, you know. So, so she knew, and we, we were playing, but it was still like a month away. And so I decided, you know, in this month, I, I better, like, sharpen up on my Sesame Street, right? And so I was kind of going around the house, and, I would, you know, I would just imagining all the things that I would do. I mean, I couldn't wait to, I wanted to ride on Big Bird's shoulders, you know, and I wanted to, like, you know, punch Oscar in the face. Like, you grouch, right? Like, I wanted to just, like, tickle the poop out of Elmo, you know, <laughs> you know just go at it. Because it all looked so much fun. And so I was just so excited because I'd seen it on TV for all this time. And so suddenly, <gasps> my chance is here. And so I began to prepare myself. I began to train to become skilled in the ways of Sesame Street. I, I sang the song over and over 
over and over again, going over, you know, sunny days, sweeping the clouds away, you know, like just getting ready. And, and I started singing, you know, knowing my ABCs in case they asked me to stand next to a puppet and say who sponsored the episode. I remember that. Letter A, number 57, you know, like that kind of thing. And so I you know, was practicing. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And I went and just started hanging out in the middle of my neighborhood street, you know, because I thought maybe this will work. Not, not really. I'm just, I'm just kidding about that. That's very dangerous. Don't do that. But I, you know, I was doing all these things, and it was like the lamest '80s montage training video ever. You know, or like they're like jumping rope, but I was like singing. But through it all, I was just so excited. I was so pumped. And I was getting so ready because I had experienced Sesame Street in the past, and it had been amazing. Right? I had watched the shows, and I loved it. And so, because of that experience, because of that knowledge. I currently had this hope and this incredible expectation of what was going to happen. This past experience gave me a present confidence in a future happening. I would sum that up as saying, I had faith. Man, I had faith in Sesame Street. And some of us, maybe you hear that and you're like, oh, I don't know, right? Because we use faith a lot and our culture throws around faith a lot. And you hear it all these different ways. If you go watch, you know, Avatar, uh, not the awesome cartoon show, the goofy movie with blue people, okay? You've got Avatar, and at one point, they're, like, hanging out, and the, the bad guy army's coming to, like, fight everyone, and, and they're like, well, look, Jake, uh, whatever his name, soldier boy, look, you, what you got to do? Like, you need to just, you need to be ready. Like, we're going to fight these guys. You just got to believe. And he's like, it doesn't, you know, we don't have a chance. Like, it's, it's a one shot in a million. There's no way. It's, the, the, all hope is lost. And like, no, you just have to have faith. Look at the tree. Plug your tail in, right? Like, that's what they told him. Like, don't worry. And sure enough, when that battle came, he was like, yeah, I believe. And then all of a sudden, you know, the big space rhinoceros was like, oh, and like knocked down helicopters. And you're like, yeah, right? And you're excited. And that's where we see faith. Or maybe you're watching Star Wars, a much better science fiction film. And you will be watching episode four, the greatest one of all. And you'll see Luke Skywalker in the end driving through the Death Star trench run, like flying around. Han Solo's like shooting people from behind him. Like, hey, you go, kid. And he's like, (laughs) right? He's just like having a good time. He's got this targeting computer, okay? He's got this big box in front of his eye and it's showing him where he's got to shoot this little ball down this hole okay like pinball and so he's getting ready to do that and all of a sudden Obi-Wan Kenobi his mentor pops up in his ear and says use the force Luke he's like oh dang you're right which basically you know for stars for those of you that don't know the force is this mystical thing that you just had to believe in and even though you couldn't see it you could use it and some people like Han Solo like I don't believe in that stuff but everyone else was like no it's real they had lightsabers they knew it was true and they used it and so Luke was like yeah okay I'm gonna I'm gonna believe in that so he turns off the computer like what are you doing and sure enough everything blows up spoiler alert Star Wars that's how it ends Boom! Everyone's happy. It was like, yeah, it's great. And it's all because Luke believed, right? It's all because he had that faith. Or maybe you read a book called The Faith Instinct. This guy named Nicholas Wade recently, well, recently, a few years ago, put out a book called The Faith Instinct, where basically he makes an argument saying that, well, faith, basically what it is, is it's that in our DNA, it's hardwired into how we're created, okay? Through, he would say through evolution. There's just this little, like, this one little, you know, piece of protein or something in our DNA that tells us that there's something bigger. It's something that's just part of our makeup, and that makes us believe in something bigger, you know, whether that's God or, or whether that's, you know, Allah or, or whether it's all these other things, like, it just there's something inside of us, and, and that's what faith is. It's just this sort of instinct, the same as, like, you know, hunting and gathering and, you know, eating and stuff like that. Like, th- that's all faith is. It's just an instinct. Now, 
When I see these things, I understand that faith, man, it gets confusing. And sometimes we throw it around, especially in the church even. We say, oh, you got a faith, a faith. And some of us, especially newcomers, and if you're a visitor this morning, you probably are in the same boat. We don't really know what that means, right? We, we, we associate it with these different things. We're like, okay, so it's like, I hope it's going to happen, or like one shot in a million, or it's just this thing that I do. Well, if you look in Scripture, it clearly spells it out for us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen or unseen. You see, if you look in Scripture, if you look at our more credible source, you'll see that faith, man, it is an assurance. It is a conviction. This isn't just some sort of, oh, it, it could happen. You know, wish on the star. It's, it will happen. This is going to happen. I have faith. I am assured. I am convicted. I know that this is true. That's biblical faith. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about this biblical faith and what does that look like in our lives. You see, whenever we throw around this idea of faith, there's actually a word that's often used is called hypostasis. Okay, hypostasis. And basically what this word means literally is stand under, to stand under something. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Dairy Queen. You should. It's the Texas stop sign. And they have this ice cream treat called a blizzard. Okay. And so, and you know, there's variations everywhere. Like Sonic has a blast and McDonald's has a McFlurry, but Dairy Queen original blizzard. Okay. And if you get a blizzard and this throws me off literally every single time, uh, cause I only get one like every three years, but the, when you get a blizzard, you order it and you're like, okay, I want to Reese's blizzard. And they're like, okay. And so they make it for you and they hand it out, you know, they're holding it out for you. And so you kind of reach and you're like, oh, thank you. And all of a sudden they flip it upside down. You're like, what? What are you doing, right? So I kind of like lunge at the counter, like, ah, you know, like, don't let it. But they do it because they're showing you, oh, look, check it out. It's so thick it won't fall out of the cup. What? You know, and they're like super proud. And you're like, oh, wow, I do believe you're good at making blizzards, right? Like they, you, they prove themselves. In fact, one time when I was there, I had a girl who it was in the drive-thru and she, you know, kind of held it out and then dumped it. <laughs> you know, but it was okay. And then she went a step further. She actually took it and she held it above her own head. I was like, whoa, daredevil, right? Like, look out. Look out for this girl. Like, she's a blizzard maniac, right? And she, but she held it out of her head because she was so confident that that blizzard was so thick that it wasn't going to fall out onto her head, right? That is, what Paul, or that is what the author of Hebrews is using. He's saying this conviction, this assurance, it's actually literally you can stand under it. You are so positive. You are so certain of this thing that you would trust it with your life. I would hold that blizzard above my head because she had faith. Faith in that blizzard. That's what we're talking about. This is biblical faith. And you know what? What's great is that we don't just see it, uh, you know, in Hebrews. We don't just see it, you know, in, in these kind of abstract things. But Paul himself actually talks about faith. Paul talks about it because it's a very real, it's a very practical thing. This idea that, of this past experience that creates a present confidence in our future. Same way that I love Sesame Street. I had seen it. I knew it. I loved it. And it gave me this present confidence in what was going to happen. And we use this faith. Again, Paul talks about it because we see it in our lives all the time. We are constantly putting our faith in all sorts of things in, in this life. I guarantee you, okay, everyone in this room right now sitting here, myself included, standing here, everyone in this room has faith that the ceiling of the college auditorium is not going to collapse on us. Right? 
Everyone in this room has faith that when this is over and I pray and I, you know, you know, dismiss everyone, we will all know how to, you know, stand up and leave the room in an orderly fashion. Everyone in this room right now has faith that when they get home or, you know, or when they go out to lunch or whatever, at some point you will eat again today, right? All of us in this room have faith that we will eat again before we starve to death, whether it's at lunch or dinner or whatever. And I can say those things, assuredly, I can say those things with conviction. I know those things. Why? Because I see the way that we're acting, right? I, I see the way you guys are. No one came in through the doors to, for college, you know, looking at the ceiling, right? Learning nervous glance. Even as I pointed out, hey, the ceiling might collapse. No one was like, oh, really? what? Really? Right? No one came up to me before the service asking about like, hey, are these support beams like, okay, you know, like, what kind of, you know, lumber do you use? I don't know. I'm, I'm not an engineering major. But, you know, some of you guys, you, you, you're not doing that. I know that you have faith that we're all going to be able to leave this room in an orderly fashion because no one's out there like putting on some cleats right now, right? Nobody's like painting up with some war paint, huh? No one's like looking in the pack for like the weakling of, okay, yeah, I'm going to use you, right? Like no one's getting ready. No one's like gearing up, bringing out a spear, right? No one's doing that because you have faith that we're going to leave in an orderly fashion. You're not, you're not looking for the weak in the herd to, you know, brush past. None of us have, or all of us have faith that we're going to eat because I didn't see anyone beforehand, you know, scavenging for berries outside, you know. No one was like out, out in the trees, like laying snares, like doing their squirrel calls, right, trying to catch one so they could string it up and like, you know, put it on their belt, like just in case, right? No one's got that plan B right now because you have faith. No matter how you act, no matter what you say, Faith will always be displayed through your actions every single time. I know those things about you, not because of what you say. I didn't go have a conversation with everyone and be like, hey, are you worried about the ceiling? I didn't have to because I see the way that you act. I've seen these actions and we do this over and over and over again. And what's beautiful is that Paul knew this. The apostle Paul in the book of Romans knew this. And that's why I said this. He says, for in it, and he's talking about the gospel. Okay, so for in the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith, right? He's talking about, you know, there's this faith that you're living by. And so some of you, I realize at this moment, are maybe getting a little worked up, right? Maybe you're a little bit nervous. You're getting out like some matches because you're going to set me on fire and call me a heretic because you're like, what is Jacob talking about? A works-based salvation, Right? Am I saying that you have to have this faith in order to like go to heaven and do these things? Like, is he a heretic? Do we need to like sprinkle holy water on him and kick him out the into the baptismal or something? Like, I don't know. Do you need to do that? Let me just say, don't worry. I'm not saying that because there's a very key phrase. There's a key point in this verse that should put all of you at rest from faith to faith. Right there, Paul is saying that there is a distinction. He's saying that there's two different faiths, right? Because you can't just go from one place to a place, right? I can't say, well, yeah, earlier I went from home to home, right? That doesn't make sense. You're like, you don't understand English, right? Like, that is strange. So when he's saying you, it is revealed from faith to faith, he's talking about two different faiths, two different things. Now, when we look at these faiths, Okay, and as we maybe do word studies, and as you look at it through Scripture, basically the, the English kind of words that we've been using for them is justification and sanctification. Okay, those are the big mm, church words that we use to describe these two faiths. Okay, justification and sanctification. 
Some of us have, you know, background with that. Maybe we've learned about in the Bible study. Some of us, those are brand new to us. Well, we're going to unpack them, all right? Basically, when he's talking about this from faith, this first faith that he's talking about is justification. And justification is the one-time transformation from unrighteous to righteous in the eyes of God. This is the saving faith. You guys have been talking about heaven and hell over the past, you know, a few weeks. Uh, it's a series that you're currently in. And this is that faith. This is the thing. Justification is what lets you go to heaven. That's, that's it. When you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, believe that he died, that he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again. When you believe in that and you accept that forgiveness, boom, you're justified. Done. One time switch. Boom. Done. Nothing will ever change that. Christ tells us that nothing can take us out of his hands once we're part of his flock. Paul tells us that nothing, nor angels, nor demons, nor, nor powers, nor in, in anything, can separate us from the love of God once we're there. So once you're justified, once you've put your faith in Christ, and maybe some of us this morning were visitors or this is our second time, and maybe we haven't done that, please just stop right here and think about that for the rest of my sermon. Don't even listen to me. I don't, don't. Because this is the most important piece of this morning. Justification. Putting your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what matters. And once you do this, like I said, boom, switch, transformation. You're done. You're not Optimus Prime. You can't like, like you can't go back and forth. One time switch, boom, you're justified. Whenever God looks at you, he sees the sacrifice of Christ instead of your sin. And so you're allowed into heaven for eternity because of that. And you're allowed into relationship with him right now. So this is saving faith. But again, remember, Paul says from faith to faith. So what's the second one? Sanctification. This is what we describe as the lifelong process by which we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Back in the 1600s, uh, there was a little thing known as the English Reformation. Basically, what happened during the English Reformation was the Church of England kind of broke away um, from the Catholic Church because the king at the time wanted to divorce his wife, and you're not allowed to do that if you're Catholic. So he'd said, well, fine, I'll just make my own religion. So boom, Church of England, and you can divorce people. Other than that, it's basically Catholic. But within that, some more people were like, man, this is kind of messed up. I, I think we want to change some more things. And so suddenly, this idea of the Protestants began. Some people got together, and they're like, you know, uh, there's these things that I have issues with, and I'm going to kind of set these things out. And they had this thing called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Okay? Basically, what that is, is a document that these Protestants created, just laying out their doctrine, saying, okay, you know, this is what we believe, this and this and this. And they made it, they tried to make it short and concise enough that just anyone, any person that claimed to be Protestant could memorize it. So they would always know what they were, you know, claimed to believe. Now, if you try to read it now, you're like, uh, there's no way I can memorize this ever because it's written in alien forsooth language, right? Like, terrible. But we still draw some things from this document. That's not all 100% solid, but some of it is right on. And this quote is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism in the 1600s, 1647, are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. You see, they understood this passage in Romans, they understood that there's these two kind of areas of faith. There's the saving faith and then there's this sanctification, this process. And it's not saying that once you become a Christian, that sin is dead, right? They're not saying that, oh, well, you know, you're dead unto sin, you, you live into righteousness, right? When Paul says the righteous man shall live by faith, he's not trying to say, well, look, when you become a Christian, if you're sinning, then whoa, something's wrong, right? That, doesn't, that should never happen with a Christian. You should never sin, right? It doesn't say that. It says more and more to die into sin. You see, it's a process. And sometimes we don't even know this process is happening. 
I had a buddy in uh, high school who, around like junior year, uh, just nosedived, went way off the deep end, just got into a lot of different, you know, drugs and, and just all this kind of stuff and just bad deal. And that continued through his junior year of high school, senior year of high school, freshman year of college, until I saw him sophomore year of college. He was in town randomly, and I'd kind of heard um, some rumors like, hey, you know, uh, Jimmy, we'll call him Jimmy. Jimmy, like, he's, like something's different about him. I, don't, I, I heard, like, he's different. Or and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Because I just kind of written him off. But I met with Jimmy, and we kind of were talking. We were, both went to a friend's house uh, for dinner, and it turned out that Jimmy had straight up rededicated his life to Christ. It was amazing. Like, seriously, this kid was so far off. And I knew that he was a Christian. We, we went to the same private school together. And, I mean, he, uh, I know he was a Christian originally. But he just had this time, this season of his life where just dark, dark place. And all of a sudden, boom, he's out of it. And I asked him, I was like, you know what, how? Like, how did this happen? You know, like, if you don't mind me asking, like, you seemed like you had given up on the whole God scene. What in the world happened to bring you back? And he told me, he's like, you know what? It was the craziest thing. I was just with my family on vacation and they kind of knew what was going on in his life, but not really. But he said that one day, one night, he just went out on a mountain and was looking out and just talked to God. And he just kind of had this conversation of just where his life had been and where it was going and and how he felt. And all of a sudden, just God just changed his life. Holy Spirit broke him in that moment. And he saw just the horrible state that he was in and he renounced it. He repented and he came back to Christ. And through it all, he was still a Christian, right? He became a Christian when he was a younger kid. There was this time where if you looked at his life, you'd be like, oh, there's no way that guy's saved. But even so, he was. And what the crazy thing was when he was talking to me, he said, you know what's so great, Jake? Because I asked him, I was like, man, like, what, you know, are you cutting ties with these guys you used to hang out with? And, you know, how's that going? And he's like, you know what's so great? It's like, I'm able to see, it's like, I know I'm having to distance myself from some things, but for the most part, I, God is just using me in those people's lives. And he's like, and this is what stuck with me. He said, Jacob, what's so crazy is I can see now how God used that whole time to prepare me for ministry now. It was so cool because he had this perspective where he was able to look back. He's like, you know what? Even though I wasn't chasing God, even though I wasn't reading my Bible and doing devotionals and and doing all these and praying every day, even though he wasn't doing those things, he was still in this process. Even though he was sinning more and more during that season, even though things were dark and, and evil and he was making terrible choices, God was still working on him. God was still had him in a process. He was still going through sanctification. Okay, so we're going to talk in a second about how, you know, we need to be cooperating with God and, and working with him. But, but realize, it's possible that you are in the state of sanctification without even realizing it. It's possible for God to work in your life, even if you don't want anything to do with him at that moment. Because he's just that good. <laughs> he's just that powerful. Believe it or not, you can't stop God from working in your life. So as we look at this process and as we kind of figure out, you know, this this lifelong, you know, enabling, there are some things that we can do, right? There, there are some ways that we can work with God to help fight that sin. The sin's not going to disappear, but we can better fight it. We can better face it. I've been married for um, almost two years now to a lovely woman named Susan, and she and I uh, have a wonderful marriage. I love it. We just got a puppy, which is like, a, you know, baby pre 
prequel, uh, and it's really exciting. Uh, if you want to hear about puppies, and by God, I will tell you. But that's not what this is about. We've been married for about two years, and the great thing about our relationship is that it's continuing to grow, right? One of the things that I, I'd always been told about marriage, and I was like, oh, okay, thanks, Grandpa, you know, but one of the things that I kind of heard, and I was like, well, whatever, is they were like, oh, man, you know what's so crazy? We've been married 35 years, and I'm still finding out things about her. And I'm like, you know, maybe, right? But for the most part, I'm like, surely, like, after, like, a year, I mean, Susan and I had been together for about three and a half years before we even got married, and I was like, yeah, we're probably at that point, right, where I pretty much know everything, right? Like, there can't be that much more to unpack. Like, we've gone over our favorite childhood TV shows, and, you know, that's it. And that's all I need to know, right? So <laughs> what else do I need to know? But sure enough, in our relationship, we are continuing to learn and grow together. And, you know, as we experience life together, we are learning things and just things pop up. And you're like, oh, I never knew that, you know, or I never noticed that about you. And it's really cool. And one of the ways that we grow and change is the fact that, continually over and over and over again, we, you know, re kind of commit ourselves, re kind of, you know, put ourselves out there for the other person, right? You need to continually date. You need to continually love that person. And I've learned that slowly, but surely, right? When, after we got married, you know, we, uh, I discovered, I guess I kind of knew this about her, but Susan loves hugging. Man, she just loves it. Just, mm, the best, right? <laughs> And I learned, and I knew that about her. But as we've been married, uh, occasionally, like daily, you know, and if I see her, she's like, oh, I, just, I need a hug, you know. Can you just give me a hug? She kind of like, gets that weepy bunny rabbit face, you know. I'm like, okay. So I go up, you know, and I hug her, and I'm like, oh, yeah, right? And, you know, it's, it's touching and, and wonderful. And I'm learning, you know, I, I need to continually do that, right? I can't just be like, hey, come on. Like, I hugged you, like, last week. <laughs> Chill out. Let me play zombies game, right? Like, I was, Come on, man. that's video games, in case you can tell. But right, I, I can't say that when, when she comes up to me and she's like, hey, you know, uh, I just had this really, lo- had a really rough day, you know, da, da, da. I can't just be like, hey, well, and I tell you I love you, but I totally told you, like, on our wedding day, so quit whining. <laughs> Why what are, you, what are you coming to me for? Like, I already told you I love you and that I like you, so whatever, you know? I can't do that. That would make me a terrible husband, right? Because even though, even though about two years ago we had that day of commitment, Even though I put myself out there, I put that ring on her finger and I told her, I love you and I will love you for the rest of your life. I will always protect you. I'll always cherish you. I'll always do these things for you. Even though I told her that, even though I swore it in front of witnesses, in front of God, in front of my youth pastor, even though I said that, to this day, I still need to do something. I still need to recommit myself to her. I can't just say, oh, I can't do that. That's terrible. And I've been learning that over time, it's not just what I say. I can't just be like, hey, I love you, right? I can't just do that. It's through my actions. It's it's by what I do. I've learned that you can't leave that gosh darn shower curtain bunched up. Because if you do, it gets mildew on it. So you got to stretch it all the way out when you're done taking a shower. Take notes, because oh my gosh, that's really important apparently, right? I've learned that. And so... In my life, when I take a shower, I pull that stinking curtain all the way across and I brush it down. I rub and try to get the water off, right? Because I know that I can't leave water on that. And that's how I show my love. That's how I show my commitment. Because I'm saying to her, look, I care about you. I haven't just committed to you two years ago. I am continuing to commit myself to you daily. 
I take a shower every day and I do that every day because I want to show her that I love her every day. And when we are with Christ, when we're in this process of sanctification, like I said, sometimes you can't tell it's happening. Sometimes you're going to be in a dark place and don't feel bad. God can still be working in your life, even if you don't feel it. But for those of us that are in a normal walk, for those of us, you know, hopefully 90% of the time, you are in this place where you can be loving God and you can be doing these actions. You can be doing these things to participate with him in this process. We can't just sit back and be like, hey, God, like totally like change my heart and stuff because I, you know, I became a Christian like a year ago, whatever, shut up. You know, like you can't do that. We can't do that because we need to be participating with him in this process because that's how a relationship works. This is why James, in the book of James, tells us that faith without works is dead. You'll hear that phrase, I guarantee you, at some point in college. And someone will probably try to use it to you. So look, you know, you have to do these things in order to be saved. Like, blah, blah, blah. well, n- nope, not anymore. Now you're prepared. And you can say, no, false, false teacher, right? That's not true. <laughs> you can say, ah, guess what? Two faiths. <laughs> and you can tell him, no. See, James, he even explains, if you look just earlier in the stinking book, you'll see he's not talking about the saving faith. He's not talking about justification. He's talking about sanctification. And in that sense, yeah, true. This process is not going to look very good, right? It's going to look dead unless your actions are backing it up. So when we are, you know, being changed by God, we need to be acting, we need to be moving, we need to be participating. I played a game uh, back in college with one of my buddies named Robbie. We played a game called Everyone Hates You, okay? (laughs) Basically, that's a great name. (laughs) Basically, this is how you play the game. You are driving around town, and you know, let's say I'm driving. Robbie's sitting in my passenger seat, and as we're driving around town, we stop at a light, and I'm just hanging out, talking, you know, maybe changing the channel on the radio. And all of a sudden, Robbie reaches over, throws my car in park, rips the key, you know, turns the key off, and throws them into my back seat. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm at, a, I'm at a crossroads, right? I can either just like unleash my rage on Robbie and punch him into the window, but... That's not really going to get me anywhere, right? So instead, I have to scream, you know, reach back and find my keys and grab it and put it back in and crank my car back up and put it in drive. And during this whole thing, right, traffic understandably backs up, right? Because you don't wait. You don't do it as soon as the light turns red, right? Pfft, chumps do that. But you wait. You wait like 30 seconds and you're like, oh, <laughs> right? That's when you do it. Because during this process, as you're sitting there, you're trying to find your keys and trying to crank it back up people in front of you have gone and you're stuck there and you're staying, you're, you're in the middle of traffic, maybe in a single lane. And then the, whoever's in the passenger seat can turn to you and say, guess what? Everyone hates you. <laughs> everyone hates you. Cause it's true. Cause everyone back there is like, Oh, what the heck is right? We play that game and it was so fun, but part of it, part of it is just, I mean, that is sanctification, honestly. That's sanctification. If you don't have your keys in the ignition, then what the heck are you doing? You've got the car. James tells us you can have this faith, but man, without works, without that key in there, without you know, the engine running, it's dead. What are you doing? Same, same, same thing. And you know what? We know this. And that's why, like I said earlier, that we put our faith in things because we're like, well, I, yeah, there's something about this faith. Like I do need to believe in something bigger. And so we put our faith in all these things. And sometimes it's not God. And if you're wondering, well, how do I, you know, how do I look? You know, how do I know? How do I know if my key's in there? How do I know if everyone hates me right now or not? You know? How do I know that? Well, again, just look at your actions. 
What are you putting your faith in? What are you running around? Are, are you running over here and trying to, you know, get, oh, man, I want this, like, I want this GPA. And, oh, I need to get into this organization so I can have that interview so I can get that job. Or maybe you're over here and you're like, oh, you know, you're laying out a snare. You're trying to get your, you know, you're doing your best girlfriend call. Like, I like your chacos. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, you're trying to put your faith in that relationship. And you're trying to like get that because that's where you're putting. And suddenly you're running around, you're hunting and you're gathering and you're scavenging for all of these things and you're gathering them up. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, this, this will work out. This is going to get me. And you know what? For a little bit, maybe it'll work. I'm not going to stand here and tell you, you know, all relationships will fail you, you know, immediately. That's not true. Sometimes you can enter into a relationship. Sometimes you can get into an organization. Sometimes you can get a job and you'll be very, very content and very happy with that. But I promise you, at some point, it will fail you. Even though I'm married, the love of my life, sometimes I will fail her. Sometimes she will fail me. That's just the way it works. We have a godly relationship, but we are still not enough to fulfill the other person. And as you're looking for these different things, they're going to fail you. I was so excited about Sesame Street, right? Flashback. Oh, yeah, Sesame Street. So good. So ready. So prepared. And so when I went to Post Oak Mall, imagine my surprise when, boom! Yes. Some of you noticed there's a little boy crying in a stroller. That's me! (laughs) Because some of the rest of you noticed, oh, hey, there's a demon standing right above him. Yes, true. You guys are actually talking about hell next week. Trace talking about hell. Here's a little taste, all right? Here's a little teaser. This demon hell spawn that claimed, claimed to be Cookie Monster, right? Who is totally not. He looks more like he wants to eat like the innocent souls of children more than cookies, right? Nom, 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 nom. Your soul is mine, right? That's what he wants to do. He's who I saw. And that is why I'm cowering in fear. No. Because that's not Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster's like this big and he eats cookies. He's not like a giant who is reaching out to strangle you, right? This wasn't right. Sesame Street, as sad as it, as much as it pains me to say, Sesame Street failed me. Ugh. It did. And it's one of those things where, man, it's true and it's going to happen over and over again. As you put your faith in these different things, as you find these organizations or these jobs or these relationships, I promise you at some point they're going to let you down because they're of this world and this world is broken. And so it's not going to carry you to where you want to go. And so as we do these things, as, as we you know, realize, wow, this world's going to fail me, how do I make sure my faith is in God? I'm going to give you a couple things, okay? A couple things and we're going to close. A couple tips on how to make sure that you are maintaining this living faith, right? This sanctifying faith, this living faith in God. One of them that I would strongly recommend is to keep an eternal perspective. Okay, basically all that means is that you are mindful of what God has done, is doing, and will do. You're going to reach that by looking at, you know, other people's lives. Maybe you read a Christian biography. I don't know. Or maybe you read in your Bible, you read, you know, some old, you know, narratives, Maybe you're going through Ruth right now in your, in your uh, small group. But somehow you look at what God's done. Maybe you look at it in your own life. Something that I really enjoy is I keep a prayer journal. And I don't write in it like every day or anything. like Dear prayer journal. You know, I don't do that. But maybe you have something where you write down your prayer. And you do it every you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks or when you think about it. And it's so cool. I can tell you I've been doing it for about three years. And I, don't, I only have probably like 40 entries for over three years. But it is so cool for me to look back and be like, wow, I totally forgot I struggled with that. 
Or, oh my gosh, God totally answered this prayer in this crazy way. It's so amazing to just see what God's been doing because we forget so easily. So write it down. Do, do something to help you keep that perspective. Another thing you can do is, man, just know who you're putting your faith in. Get to know God better. I mean, I'm just, I'm stressing basic biblical, you know, uh, truths here. Praying, you know, keeping things. And, and the second one, just read your Bible. Read about God. See who he is. See what he says. See what he says about your life. See what he says about himself. Get to know this God. If you don't know him, then yeah, how are you going to put your faith in him? If you don't know anything about him. So read the Bible. I actually, the youth director in me came out this morning. I brought with me uh, some sheets and, you know, you can also just go to it online or do a Google search. Uh, It's called the Strive 60 Day Overview or something. And basically what it is, it's a, it's a reading plan for the Bible. And, you know, I, I don't really like those read the Bible in a year plans. Like, they're good and they work really well for some people. They don't work for me uh, because I just get behind. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have like 50 chapters to read. I'm never going to do this. And I give up. But this is very different. In fact, it's a 60-day plan that you can spread out over, you know, two months, three months, four months. I don't know. But 60 days where you basically walk through the highlights of the Bible. So maybe you're in Genesis for like five weeks and then you're in Exodus for like two weeks and then you're in Joshua. And, and every time you, don't, you only have like a chapter to read or maybe two chapters or maybe half a chapter. But it's still a great just tool to use to work. You work your way all the way through the Bible and you see kind of this main narrative of God and being broken away from uh, his people and then br- slowly bringing them back to himself. It's amazing. It's awesome. And so if you want one, man, I printed off a bunch of copies. Come get one from me. If that's what you need, if you need that kick in the pants to start actually getting to know this God that you put your faith in, come on, talk to me. Come get it after the service. Because as we do these things, as we look at this world, as we look at this faith, man, we need, we need to participate. Because it's, it's what life's all about. There's a guy uh, by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who uh, lived in Germany back around World War II time. And he was a preacher uh, some of you may have actually even read his work. He has a few bo- or a bunch of books out. Um, one of them is called Letters from Prison. And uh, he basically just writes about God and just his, his experience in the faith. And, but when he was in Germany around World War II, he was preaching, you know, the, the gospel and doing these things. And the Nazis began to rise to power, right? The bad guys. They start to rise to power and they're taking over Germany. And as they did that, I don't know if you knew this, but the Nazis actually, they tried to just stamp out all religion. They didn't want anybody to have a religion in Germany. And so they went out and they made it known, look, if you are caught preaching something that is against the, what the Nazis say, then, man, you're, you're done. We're going to take care of you. And so a lot of preachers, there were about two options. One, they could just stay in Germany and they just stop preaching, or they would just jump on the Nazi bandwagon and not even preach scripture. They would just talk about how great Hitler was. You could either do that, or you could flee the country. So a lot of preachers, that's what they did. They were like, oh, they just packed up their bags. They're like, okay, you know what? I'm committed to God, and so I'm going to go somewhere else and preach about God. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer took option three a much less popular option because it involved him staying in Germany and still preaching the gospel against the will of the Nazis. And he did this for a time and until eventually he got caught. So the Nazis grabbed him, put him in prison, told him they were going to kill him, but he's going to wait in prison for a while. And so as he's waiting, he continued to preach. He would just talk to the inmates. He talked to the guards. He wrote letters. That's one of his books, Letter from Prison. It's literally letters from prison that he wrote and sent out. 
He continued to be committed to the gospel. He actually converted one of his guards to Christianity and befriended him until the point where this guard came up with this huge, awesome escape plan. It was like, look, you know, flawless. I can totally get you out. We're gonna, I'm going to get you out of here, Dietrich. Like, you got this family and that had already fled the country. I'm going to take you to see them. But Dietrich turned him down. He said, no, no, no. I said, I'm not going to do it. Because he had a brother-in-law who still lived in Germany. And he said, you know what? If I leave, then they could go get him in retaliation. And I don't want to put his life in danger. And so I'm going to stay. Even though he had this perfect plan, this easy way out to get out of jail free, he didn't take it. Because he cared about this brother-in-law. And so he stayed in prison and did that whole thing until eventually they were going to execute him. They're going to hang him. And so they brought him out of a cell and walked him down the aisle. And there's uh, an account written by the doctor of the prison at the time. And it's beautiful. I, I'm not even going to paraphrase it. I just want to read it word for word because it's powerful. So he, remember, he's walking to be executed at the hanging. The doctor says this. I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer held on to this living faith, even as he died. So my challenge to you this week, to myself, is that we would remember that faith is more than just putting your faith in Christ and being forgiven, and that's it. It's more than that. There is now a relationship. There's now this process. We are going from a faith to a faith. We have this living faith that needs to be shown in our lives, whether times are great or whether times are we're about to be hanged. So I would challenge you, keep that in mind. Know what God has been doing Get to know this God who saved you. Because I'm telling you, this is what life is all about. So if you would just pray with me. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sending your son to die for our sins. God, thank you for providing that forgiveness, even when we did nothing to deserve it. God, I pray for every single person in this room that if we have not yet put our faith in you for the forgiveness of our sins, that God, we would do it or we would talk to our friend who brought us about it or we would talk to me or talk to an intern, someone. Because God, that is the most important thing we could ever do with our lives. And God, I pray for those of us that have already put our faith in your son for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray that we would continue to have a living faith. I pray that we would cooperate with you in this process of sanctification that every day we would die to ourselves and like Paul said, live by righteousness. God, I pray that all of us would remember what you've done for us and that would change not just the way that we think, but that it would change the way that we act so that we would show the world how different we are because of what you've done. Lord, we pray this all in your precious son's name. Amen. All right. Well, you are dismissed. We'll see you guys, uh, small groups, or next Sunday. Or have fun. <laughs> and don't forget, overviews if you want one. <laughs>